Escape from Plan A. Make them laugh, make them laugh. Don't you know everyone wants to laugh? <laughs> my dad said be an actor, my son. But be a comical one, they'll be standing in lines for those old honky-tonk monkey shines. Now you could study Shakespeare and be quite elite. And you uh, could hi, welcome to this week's episode of Escape from Plan A. I'll be your host, Jess. Uh, with me today are uh, David. Hi. Millie. Hello. And Crean. Hello. So uh, this week, what I wanted to get into was, uh, so you guys, David, Millie, Crean, uh, are all uh, professionals in creative industries. Um, and I wanted to get a sense of what the day-to-day uh, life is like as a working professional in these in these industries, and specifically, you know, what what motivated you, what drove you to uh, join um, these professions, and uh, kind of give a, an insider's take to listeners who might be curious themselves about um, about you know a concept they might want to write, you know, getting into acting themselves, things like that. Um, so with that, uh, David, this is, uh, this is David's first time potting with us. So welcome, David. Um, I wanted to, welcome. <laughs> so I wanted to start with you. Uh, so if you could just give us a brief, uh, intro to yourself, what you do, um, where you are, uh, anything you care to share, uh, please take it away. Yeah. So I am the founder of what is now called AN Publishing. That's just my two, the AN stands for my two middle names, uh, uh, my middle name, my last name. So Adam Noel, right? So, uh, and what we do is we publish lifestyle content, uh, across three platforms. You have a platform for men called Man of the Hour, a platform for women called Somedam, which means top lady or woman on top in French. And then we have a more politics, economics driven site. Uh, called Modern Treatises, which really delves into the social and cultural subject matters in a deep matter. And um, we have an upcoming site, probably going to be launching sometime early next year, called A Hot Take, which is just going to focus on uh, entertainment-related news, commentary, and content related to people of color in the global entertainment industry. Wow, that's cool. So uh, you're also an actor as well, right? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I'm also an actor, too. Yes. Uh, <laughs> when you find the time. <laughs> yes, I do. When I find the time. Uh, what I can say in terms of the acting thing is that I have done uh, A Raisin in the Sun on multiple occasions. So I did it as a paid performance when I was about 10 years old. I did it as a university performance at uh, you know UC Berkeley uh, as an undergrad. And I've also done, what do you call it, a, a, a midnight, uh, uh, I can't think of the, remember the entire name, but, but, uh, but, uh, Shakespeare, but, 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 but Shakespeare. Midsummer Night's Dream? Uh, yeah, 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 Midnight's, Midnight's Dream, yeah. Yeah, and, um, yeah, so I've done, like, lots of different sort of acting, sort of regional, little bit of regional, a uh, little bit of, you know, I was in an, what was called an Ashante Children's Theater, which was a theater troupe for uh, young kids of color uh, in Oakland. I needed to take that because I had a stuttering problem when I grew up. And the, you know, taking the sort of acting lessons and learning about that helped me to not only come out of my own shell, but it helped me to deal with and address my own stuttering problem. And that's what kind of got me interested into the whole, you know, creative side of everything. Cool. That's, thank you. Uh, and Quian. 
Yeah, um, so I am an actor and organizer. Um, those two parts of my life are, I would say, pretty distinct um, in that they don't necessarily overlap. Um, uh, I started acting when I was in like about tw- 12 years old. So that's like in middle school. And I've acted throughout middle school, high school, college. And now I'm uh, living living and acting in Los Angeles. And in terms of my organizing, so I do human rights organizing, and I've been doing that for a little over 10 years as well. That's awesome. Thanks. Uh, Millie. Cool. Uh, I'm Millie. I'm a filmmaker, and I live in New York City. Um, I write, direct, and produce films. And I've... Um, been in the arts pretty much my whole life. Um, I, I started from a pretty, pretty young age. Um, you know, I consider myself first and foremost a writer, uh, so started doing that really early. Um, but was also interested in theater and photography, studied music. Uh, I've been all over the map in terms of creative stuff. So uh, thanks so much, Jess, for, you know, having us in this pod. Um, I think in the discussion of all things creative, there tends to be an overemphasis on results and a bit of an underemphasis on process. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot to discuss here and appreciate your bringing it up. Yeah, sure. So, um, yeah, so I come from a completely not creative background. Uh, and I know, you know, in recent months, there's been a, a huge upswing in uh in minority-led, uh, you know, media, movies, you know, Asians have had a great summer in terms of uh, Asian-led uh, blockbusters, Crazy Rich Asians being one of them. And there's a lot of, uh, of, of smaller pe- pieces that have really shown um, the breadth and range of, of uh, POC talent out there. So I know there's been a lot of calls to action for more of that. Uh, most note, like most recently, I came across uh, Simu Liu, the star- one of the stars of Kim's Convenience, who was uh, yeah. who was on fire on Twitter, advocating for more creatives to get involved, to participate, to um, to not hold themselves back if uh, they if this was a dream of theirs that they wanted to fulfill. Um, but there was a little, there's a little gap in that uh, in that call to action, at least for me, uh, just. As someone who's not involved in the industry at all, uh, I would have no idea where to start uh, or what I would need to know or who I would need to know, what what kind of skills I'd need to foster, things like that, to even just contemplate whether this is a reality for someone like me. So uh, since all you guys are working professionals um, in this industry, I kind of wanted to uh, kind of lift the curtain a little bit to get a sense for how you guys wanted how how you guys found your ways into uh, these professions, uh, what motivated you, and what the day to day life is like as a working professional. Cool. You know, I also want to point out that um, you have a podcast and the Plan A website, which is an amazing website. Uh, you guys are pretty creative. You know that it takes it takes a lot of. <laughs> Um, it takes constant, yep. you know, work and creativity and content producing to run these things. So, sure, uh, do not undersell your own creativity. I think of you guys as being. Very <laughs> Thank you, I appreciate that. Um, no, it's it's a valid point, uh, but it's it still feels like being a fish out of water. This isn't. This is. Um, it's hardly what I study to become, hardly something that uh, I envision myself doing. So to find myself in this position is a, it's, it's been a, a ride. I, I enjoy it tremendously. 
Um, but it would be it would be great to see more people who uh, who had these dreams and maybe you know let them go to the by the wayside. Uh, you know, I came up, I came of age, you know, in the early aughts when there wasn't that much uh, representation in creative industries. It, it, and it's risky. It's always been risky, no matter who you are. But especially as uh, as people of color, it seemed especially risky. So it so I know um, I Definitely. don't actually know a lot of people who made that plunge themselves. Um, and I know it's a tough road to to walk. So I really wanted to give a chance for people who are uh, who are working professionals to kind of say their piece and show what what you know what's going on in their lives and what motivates them. So, um, Quian, maybe uh, we'll start with you. Uh, I I think you're the youngest um, in this bunch here. <laughs> so, and you are maybe. in uh, and you're in LA. So, um, I know you're living Act One of La La Land here in uh, <laughs> in Los Angeles. So, uh, so just wanted to see, like, how did you find your way into acting? Um, it's funny that that you say that I'm the youngest because if I'm the youngest, then this is a hella old group. <laughs> Because here, here in La La Land, um, I, I think I'm consistently the oldest member of the cast on like any film that I'm on. <laughs> Just unless there's like a grandpa or a father or a mom in the, uh, in the film. Um, but yeah, so I, I had mentioned it earlier. Uh, I've been acting my entire life. Um, and really I, was planning to move to do the move to LA. Uh, I had kind of decided on it really early on, didn't mention it to um, anybody in my life. And so like, you know, folks who were paying attention obviously saw that I was acting and I, I've acted consistently every year of my life since middle school. Um, but it's just not something that I generally talk about. And I think a big part of that is the fact that the curtains are not pulled up uh, on what a uh, career in the creative arts uh, is. And uh, then we kind of leave all of the guesswork out there and then more, I guess, um, more impactfully the all of the stigmas or the assumptions uh, and judgments around the creative industry and so you know mm-hmm. holding that at a young age i was just like oh screw it like i'm going to do this i i used to consume films excessively uh, at, around that time so when i kind of first started like got my my dive into acting um so that was you know i was 12 13 years old i i watched more films uh in those two years of my life than i have like any other year in my life i still watch a lot of films now mm. but it's, it's just a lot less and um you know i so i had decided that around that time and around and then at the same time i was like oh you know what i'm not gonna really talk about it because I don't want to invite the the misconceptions and nor do I want to explain um, kind of like how sacred this is to me um, and I'm just going to do it. And so then I kind of continued and then I lived all of my other lives um, simultaneously and um, all the while kind of still thinking, okay, I'm going to, you know, go to LA and do that whole thing Um uh, eventually. And so once I graduated from college and I worked for a little bit in the Bay Area in San Jose, uh, where I grew up. Um, and then finally I made the move uh, a few years ago um, 
and so you know to answer the question of how I got started I mean it just depends on what which juncture you're referring to right so how did I get started uh, sure how did I right. get start started in the art itself I got started in you know in, in middle school uh that's how I kind of stuck with it and all of its um all of the ways that it like transforms over time while you're in you know in different in different spaces in different uh, parts of your life um points in your life and in terms of the industry itself, like the machine, then I would say, despite being in LA for um, about three years now, I would say I've become a little bit more familiar with the machine, the industry um, in the last, I would say, year. Uh, and so a big part of being, like I would say, in the industry is to to like one be planted so be in so whether you're uh you know in the industry in new york or whether you're in la or atlanta i would say to be planted in that city and really like connecting with folks in the industry uh or in the creative arts is uh how to me the measure of how um you know you you start to really familiarize yourself with it and so i would say for me that has been in um in the last year. Um, and sorry, uh, I know that was a long answer to your question. But I do want, I want to just quickly mention um, that, uh, you know, I, I was mentioning kind of my hesitation at an early age with kind of talking about being a member of or like being interested in doing it. And yesterday I was talking to my best friend and I uh, like listened to the the stories of uh, a group of um women entrepreneurs yesterday so like independent business owners um really like kind of the, the self-starting stories and i as i was listening to these stories i thought to myself like wow you know it's interesting because the struggles that entrepreneurs and uh, people in the creative arts uh, the struggles that they go through while they're not the same there's a lot of overlap uh, wh whether it's you know the the amount Definitely. of risk that you have to be willing to take you know all, all of that um, kind of like investing in the your your vision without uh, any certainty um, so all of those things hold true for for both industries but I was thinking to myself that you know um, a lot of folks, in my world, particularly, I would say maybe the the wider Asian community, um, there is like a stigma around the creative arts where uh, I would say if I decided to tell everybody that I am going to be um, a I'm going to be a business owner, I'm going to start my own business, I'm an entrepreneur, I really feel like the the, the amount of, I guess, props um, I would get for saying that or doing that would look and feel different than how it is when people uh, hear that I am, you know, quote unquote, trying to act, which is like the thing that everybody mm -hmm. says. Um, and so I just think, uh, and so I, as I was talking about this with my best friend, I was trying to figure out why, uh, why this is. And then I was like, oh, you know what? Like, it's probably, I think, you know, the whole, uh, I don't, I don't, that frequently point to the whole representation thing but in this case I'm like oh no I think that's actually what it is with the lack of uh, representation growing up I think you know if I were uh, when I was 13 14 years old if I had mentioned to folks that I was gonna eventually try to do this um for sure in my life then I think they would 
uh, they would all roll their eyes at me. And, and then now, <laughs> you know, um, 15 years later, they, I, I get a different type of, it's, it's, you know, it's a, it's a different type of uh, eye roll, but I think it's still all linked to the same <laughs> thing. Um, and that is, and that is how, you know, that kind of like has informed my entire journey. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know what you mean. It's a little bit of a chicken or the egg problem, isn't it? Uh, yep. <laughs> you know, because if we are disinclined to go into the arts, because, uh, like in my case, um, you know, my parents were Korean immigrants who came here in 1970. Um, so they are perfect examples of the immigrant time warp that uh, you, Oxford, and TK were talking about um, in your recent pod. Uh, you know, they came here and um, they were children during the Korean War, so they were very stability-oriented. You know, their main goal for my sister and me for was for us to, you know, live a very uh, safe and um, stable life, you know, that we would never have to worry about some of the things that they had to worry about growing up. Um, and so you can imagine my poor parents' horror, you know, when <laughs> I told them, uh, you know, for example, when I was 12, uh, well, firstly, I mean, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I was always really into the arts. Um, I grew up studying music. Um, I played classical piano and, um, I was pretty good at it, you know? So my, at one point, my piano teacher, you know, suggested to my mom that I audition for Juilliard. And my mom, um, you know, sort of sniffed and said, um, you know, my daughter, uh, you know, doesn't want to be a professional piano player. Uh, you know, no daughter of mine will go to Juilliard. Which <laughs> really, I mean, you got too good at piano. <laughs> you know, if you think about it, it's wow. a little bit ridiculous. Like, wow. uh, you know, what? what? Now Juilliard isn't good enough for us. Um, you <laughs> yep. know, so again, yeah. imagine her horror like a few years later when I was in high school. And, uh, you know, I caught the acting bug and I told my parent, you know, I, I remember I was, I was crying. I sat my mom down and I was, there was one summer where I was supposed to be studying for the SAT, but instead I ran off and sneaked behind their backs and auditioned for, um, the summer program at the American Academy of Dramatic Arts. And I got in. So, you know, I, I sat my mom down and I told her like, I really want to be an actor. You know, this is my thing. And uh, she said, absolutely not. Uh, you know, to her credit, she actually said, uh, you know, when you when you graduate, if you really want to stick, if you really want to be an actor and you want to stick with it, then you can do that after you graduate from college. Um, so that's what I did. Um, I went to college. I studied creative writing, actually, um, and then came back to New York and sort of immersed myself in every art you can think of, you know, I studied photography, I took improv comedy classes. Um, I was an actor for about five minutes, granted, but you know, I took it seriously, I had an agent and a manager. Um, and I learned a lot, it was a very uh, fruitful educational time for me. Um, I eventually, I had always sort of been interested in film, but I was very late in coming to it. Um, you know, in fact, I barely even watched films until college. Uh, my friends were horrified. They were like, what do you mean you haven't seen Star Wars? That makes zero sense. <laughs> so they like sat me down and made me watch all of Star Wars. Um, but the thing that was interesting to me about film was that it sort of allowed me to cohese all of my interests in different arts. You know, um, 
in the visual and in writing and in music. You know, I've never had to, I haven't been, I haven't had to give up any of it because film um, combines all of those things and integrates all of those things. So I kind of lost my train of thought, but that's how I came to film. Um, you know, after, I think it was in my late 20s, I, I decided, okay, well, if I want to be in film, I'm going to have to focus. So I decided to apply to film school. Um, and that was actually pretty challenging. Um, I applied three times. Let's see, the first time was when I was 24. And I sort of discount that application because I barely put any effort into it. You know, I, I like threw it together in a week and sent it in uh, to NYU, which was my dream school. Um, but, you know, not surprisingly, I didn't get in because the application was terrible. Um, then I applied again when I was 30. And that year I was waitlisted. And I spent like a horrible summer sort of waiting to see if anybody was going to decide not to go to NYU film school that year so that, uh, you know, I might be able to get a spot. Um, and of course did not ultimately. Uh, so then I was at a bit of a crossroads. I thought, well, okay, I can either double down and, you know, apply not again to NYU and not just NYU, but to a whole bunch of other programs and see what happens, you know, put a lot more, put even more effort into my portfolio and my application and, and, see if that helps. Um, or I can give up and, you know, work on something else. Um, ultimately I went with the first option and, um, it worked that year. I got into NYU and Columbia and AFI. So, and ultimately went with NYU. Uh, and it was, um, a really life altering experience for me. You know, I mean, grad school in the arts is really weird. Uh, you know, NYU in particular, you know, has, it's, you know, my experience there was both completely awesome and life-altering and also in some ways total bullshit <laughs> uh, because, you know, the program is not perfect. Um, you know, there are politics involved, uh, you know, and um, it's also really challenging and expensive. So it's not the kind of thing I would necessarily recommend to everyone. Um, but it really, it really helped me. You know, I... Uh, I went into the program being interested in film, but not necessarily being a filmmaker. And I came out being a filmmaker, having, you know, having made a whole bunch of films, gained a lot of skills, and maybe most importantly, having experienced a shift in identity. Um, because I think a lot of what comes with becoming an artist has to do with not only changing your behavior, you know, actually writing more frequently, going on more auditions, uh, making more films, um, but also changing your notion, your idea of yourself, you know, being able to say, I am a filmmaker, I am a writer, I am an actor. Um, there's a transition there that's really important and that can sometimes take a while to happen. That's an interesting point, that this becomes an identity in and of itself. Definitely. Yes, it does. And as I was listening to everybody, I was thinking back myself. And um, as I had said in the intro, I got into acting because I had a stuttering problem. And uh, my parents wanted to put me in something that would force me to speak a lot and force me to because then I was shy because I didn't want to speak because I would stutter too much. And with the speech therapist and the help of that, 
once I got into theater as a little kid, I really flourished. I really liked this whole thing of, of acting. It really, you know, I, I was that, that sort of acting bug hit me so young that by the time I was a teenager, I was like a devo sitting in a chair telling people, don't talk to me. I'm trying to get into my scene. You know, you know, that was, that was, that was was me. And, and I kind of took that lesson. I took that lesson with, with the idea that you have to be twice as good as, you know, white person to get half of whatever it is they get. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just took acting so seriously that seriously that every time I would, you know, you know, every time we were doing a scene, like in an acting class, any sort of thing we were doing, I wanted to come in there and I wanted to like knock it out of the ballpark the first time. I wanted I wanted to just wow people. So I would spend animate amounts of time, you know, reading the scene, learning the lines, learning the other person's lines. So I knew what they were saying. Right. And and beginning to kind of figure out, like, how how am I going to formulate this character? How am I going to play this person? And, and, and then how do I how do I play the scene that that is realistic? Because now we're all people of color. So you have to start thinking about you know, if I'm if I'm acting, if I'm doing something, even if you're writing a script or you or you're creating something, is this going to resonate? You know, with people of your community, right? Is it going to resonate with those folks? How do you do that? So how do I take a spin on this monologue and make it a little bit different, right? How do I how do I make this feel real? Uh, and and how do I feel like I'm not trying to imitate what white people are doing, right? You know, and I wanted to try to to be able to be realistic about it and do that. So that became a major part of the interest to me. But I think as I began to grow up, I began, once I got to high school and I was like, oh, there's a, you know, I'm taking acting courses in high school because they had them in the school. They were doing all kind of, they did like four performances a year. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to be in every performance. And I found myself quickly being marginalized into, well, you know, you're going to play this little supporting role here. You know, you're going to play uh, 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 this, this role here. And I think something that was a blessing and a curse at the same time is that they did a performance of the crucible. And since they didn't have mm. any black <laughs> actors, you know, any black actors to play the role of Tichiba, right? They just said, you're going to play the role of Tichiba, but we're going to turn it into a male, right? You know, you know, you know, you know, so I was like, okay, so now I'm going to do this role as a male, right? Right. Right. So I'm like, okay. So I know my parents are not too happy about that idea, but they're like, go ahead and, and do the role. Right. And so, now I've got I'm in this position where I have to convince these folk, you know, there's mostly a mostly white audience. The parents are going to be there. Right. They didn't have any black uh, old girls in the school who were in in the acting thing. So now I've got to convince these people the slaves. So I'm like, I'm going to take this all the way. I'm going to make these people feel whatever the pain of slavery and all the different sorts of things. And I'm going to be maybe a slight bit over the top with it, you know, with all the different things you have to do there. And that turned out to be uh you know, a very good performance uh, uh, for me because I think we did it like we did like four performances, and and, and that was something. And so wow. I was like, okay, so I understand that in this industry, as a person of color, you're not going to be thought of as like the lead role, right? You know, you're not going to be thought of, you know, as the person who can carry something, and you're not going to be unless unless there's a role specifically carved out for you. Other than that, you're going to be you pushed in, you know, to somewhere on the side. And so then I had an opportunity, if I go back a little bit, we went in ni- 96 and 97, those two years, uh, uh, we went to the NAACP Awards in Los Angeles because my mother had an opportunity to kind of work in the, the whole coordination of the whole thing going on down there both of those years. So we got free invites, and so I was able to meet a lot of, like, you know, African-American, you know, celebrities, right, you know, who were actors and actresses and musicians, all these kind of people. And I was young age, but it was a very interesting, it was very interesting for me. Uh, So um, once I got to college, I started to think about something 
that was important to me when I was very, very young is that both my, both my, both my grandmothers, when they would babysit me, uh, when I was a kid before I was able to go to school, they would sit down and they would watch the soap operas as we would call them the stories, right? You know, they would watch the soap operas <laughs> and I got very plugged into these sort of, these, these sort of series, right? I was plugged into these <laughs> daily series with them, right? Right. You know, you know, so, so, you know, so I always say that, so my, my Chinese grandmother was watching, you know, all my children in one life to live in general hospital. And then my African American grandmother was watching the CVS, the young and the restless general hospital, not young, young restless guiding light. As the world turns, those sort of different things. So we would just, so I was just plugged into these. So once I got into college, I was like, oh, I have some time to watch him again. And I had actually started a, a YouTube uh, vlog at the time that's no longer around that basically I just gave commentary on these shows on a day to day basis. I even ended up creating a website at the time. It was like a GeoCities website, right? You know, the, uh, you know, to further you know, uh, discuss about what was happening on there. And I was giving commentary about the acting, about what was good, what was bad. And I'd say, oh, I really like doing all this kind of stuff. This is great. It is like a, formulating a community. And I said, how am I going to make myself different from the, the big wigs out there, you know, who have the magazines and do that? And I was like, well, I'm going to comment specifically on the people of color and whether I think that they're, how they're being represented and how that's being portrayed in there. And that became a very good thing where I was able to interview some of the actors from the shows. Uh, uh, and, uh, and I was like, Oh, I really, I really, really like this. So I had an opportunity because, uh, in 2009, I had an opportunity to meet an actress named Victoria Rao. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of her, but she became famous, yeah. uh, on the show Young and the Restless playing a role of Drusilla Barbara Winters, uh, a very unique, uh, uh African American female, uh, character, uh, who became one of the most popular in that industry and eventually left uh, due to the issues of racism that she had had to fight over the course, often on over the course of 20 years with the show, oh, gosh. despite being the most popular actress on the sh- actress on the show, despite actually feeding them the stories to tell about the, for the African-American characters, despite writing for them without getting paid. Right. 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 Wow. You know, despite doing all this kind of stuff. Right. She came and asked him doing her last contract negotiations can I get a writing credit? Right. Right. You know, can I do some writing for the show? Right. You know, because what she was doing is she was taking the scripts because, you know, they have all Caucasian writers. So she would have to take the scripts for the black characters and say, we got to rewrite this script because nobody talks like this. Right. Right. And that was kind of that was part of the popularity of the show was or at least among the African-American cast is that they sounded like black people really speak in real life. Right. They interact the way they did. So they had they had that they, they would do the things where when you're in the office with the white people, you speak a little bit differently. When you're together, you speak differently. Everybody loved it. So she left. But that really kind of further sparked my interest in just saying, I really want to cover uh, this uh, entertainment industry, what's going on. So when the web series were first starting out on YouTube, I was like in it when I had my, my, my vlog and had the little site going on. I was in it covering these people who were creating these, you know, crowdsource funding things and creating uh, their content. And I thought this is really, really good. I really like this. And uh, 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 I really want to keep doing this because I'm like, the only way our voices as people of color, you know, in scripted content, whatever we're doing, you know, indie movies, if we're trying to get to the blockbuster, if we're trying to create a scripted series, the only way we're going to be able to, to get the message out there about our stuff and our content is, is if we do it ourselves, right? Because Absolutely. it's going to take Hollywood a long time to just, to just, uh, get in on it or, or, or to figure out that, that, that these things are important, right? So, uh, so it just became, it, it became this intuitive thing where I'm like, in this creative field, 
if we're people of color, we're going to have to do a lot of do it ourselves, get up, and then people will catch on years later, as as we've seen now. Mm. I totally agree. Could not agree more. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I actually remember uh, Barbara Rao's name. Um, I, I, I don't really, I never watched stories, but I still heard of her. And I heard, uh, you mm-hmm. know, fragments of that story. So uh, really glad you brought that up. So looping back. So I appreciate you guys sharing, you know, how you guys found your ways into these industries, what it, what it has meant to you as far as identity, you know, what it's done, you know, to help bolster your sense of identity as a child, as an adult. Um, I wanted to take it back to a much more nuts and bolts uh, place for a moment, uh, just because... Sure. Uh, someone who's not familiar. I live in LA and I've lived in LA my entire life, but I've never had much connection to the entertainment industry. Uh, and the thought occurred to me that, you know, after, you know, Crazy Rich Asians, and if I suddenly just caught the acting bug and wanted to get involved, I really wouldn't still, despite living in this, the city, um, in this particular city, I still wouldn't really know like what I would need to get started, right? So I would literally have to go to Google and type in how to become an actor. Yeah, <laughs> which I'm sure uh, <laughs> the the amount of hits for that coming from IP addresses in Los Angeles are yeah, are totally. tremendous. <laughs> I know <laughs> from coffee shops across the county. Um, <laughs> yeah. So so for so to put myself in the shoes of someone who might you know who might want to pursue that dream but just literally has no idea where to start. Uh, and knowing how you know probably there's probably a really predatory scene out there to prey upon people who do have like these kinds of aspirations I, i've heard about you know those acting mills that you pay subscriptions for you know i've, I've heard a lot of horror mm-hmm. stories about how predatory the industry can be so for someone starting out like what 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 would be some advice you could give them like what what should they be looking for what do they need to do to actually um start uh start down that road of calling themselves you know an actor or a filmmaker I, millie i know you you went to grad school and you really paid your dues over the over the years um so for, for someone like i just want to yeah let's open up the table to you guys then um uh what would you what advice would you give to somebody who's totally totally unfamiliar with the scene and who said you know what after this year after seeing all these all these successful you know poc led uh, movies and shows and what have you i real i'm feeling empowered i want to do this um now what so uh Quien, back to you I was gonna say, I was gonna say, uh, is this like a targeted at the LA kid or not? Nah, but it sounds like it's, uh, yeah, for um, everybody. Probably, to, to- probably for everybody. <laughs> so more in like high level terms, like, do you need an, like, I, I hear about, you know, like, oh, my agent this or my agent, like, do you need yeah. an agent? Yeah, it's so funny. It's just like, it's just so funny. Like, you know, like Millie had mentioned that she had a moment where she went very, uh, where Millie, you went very deeply into acting and then you, you know, had a, and then you had an agent and a manager at some point. It's just so funny. Like, I think maybe it's because folks who do the whole thing, get to a moment when they they do have an agent or a manager and so it's mentioned in co- these conversations and then so because of that it becomes something that immediately pops up on people's minds when they uh one day sitting on their couch are like maybe I will try acting um <laughs> right <laughs> when re- when when really like what it means to 
to start any art, it's kind of the same, right? Like I, I personally am really interested in like ceramics. And I think that getting started in ceramics, just like getting started in sewing, just like getting picking up the clarinet is it's all it's there that that first those first few steps are kind of all the same. And they're the most important mm-hmm. steps if you're going to go deeply into any art. Um, and so really, like when it comes to acting, I, th- I think funny enough, and I- I'd love to hear from, you know, from David and, and Millie, um, because I believe that y- y'all are in different geographical locations. But there's something about being in LA, particularly that, to be honest, because I didn't get started in, in LA, right? I, um, I you know, I was born in Chicago, but I grew up in San Jose, California. And then I went to school on the East Coast. And I was, you know, I so I acted in the Bay, and then I acted on the East Coast. And then when I came back to the Bay, um, after college, I was I was acting in in, in primarily San Francisco, because that's where like the that's where the the TV film commercial industry uh, primarily is uh, up there. Um uh, and so in, in terms of like the, the commercial side of, of, of things. And, um, but when it comes to give, give, you know, quote unquote, giving that advice to folks in LA, I think it's, um, to me, I think it's daunting if you are just interested in taking on the art itself. Uh, because there's so much of the business, um, everywhere you turn, <laughs> you know, and it's, it's no joke right. when, when people say that at every restaurant you go to, every bar you go to in LA, it's, you know, it's a literally like almost all working actors, um, on the staff. Like that, that's pretty, pretty close to the truth. And so to me, yeah, I we actually have ridiculously think- gorgeous wait staff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, and it's hard. And actually, it's extremely hard to get any of those jobs out here because of that reason. Um, and right. so if you're if somebody, you know, is interested in any aspect, uh, you know, I would say any aspect of the creative industry, not just acting, um, but I'm I'm going to speak um, specifically to acting. Um, if you're interested there, your first step is to do it like to act, you know, and and the, the thing is, uh, I think it's important to separate your mind from all of this business shit, because like who like you would never, uh, you know, as a clarinetist, you would never think first and foremost, like, uh, you know, what, um, what orchestra am I going to like seek out? Like, you would never think that when you're <laughs> um when you haven't ever picked up and played the clarinet, right? And so mm-hmm. um, I think that's the first step. Like get yourself into um, a an environment or a community that's going to allow yourself to explore the art. And if you're not interested in the art itself, then then that then we should sit back on the couch and reassess and and talk about <laughs> it because this shit is not fun. Like if you if you're not actually interested in that, because like just speaking very honestly, the uh, the business side of it is. is 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 scrolling and it's um you know there's there's not a lot of um yeah there's not a lot of reward in it um and so and then the the reason why i say it's difficult in los angeles in particular is because 
um, because it's so dense out here with folks um, in the acting game, um, people yeah. uh, like don't really know where to start. And so actually, if you're, say, for example, in the Bay Area, and, I, and I've had this conversation with folks in the Bay Area, um, it's actually easier to find like studios where you can really get your start, get your feet wet. Um, in LA, you just have to do a little bit more digging. Um, don't take an audition technique class as your first acting class. Like, that's not a good idea. Um, and just like, so then, mm, right. um, depending on where you are, you have to do a lot of research and find the right environment for you to um, to get your feet wet. And then, then once you're in it, to fine tune it. And then we can talk about all that other stuff, you know, down the line. Uh, but I would mm-hmm. say that's the first um, start. Like, like, just like with the clarinet, get lessons and then and then move from there and one of the things you can do on a on on a local level right is to there are lots of like free improv troops right improv comedy troops you know that really uh will train you and and teach you about doing improv which is kind of like always the breakdown in acting is to learn how to improv right you know uh to learn how to do things on the spot to learn how to to figure out because what i did is, is when i first started and, and the acting started teaching. They started doing improv, and then I realized, oh, this improv ties in. What happens if you forget a line? How can you keep the scene going, right? How can you get the scene back together? So you've got to be able to do it on the spot. It's also uh, there are usually uh, the little community theaters, uh, the regional theaters in your area. Those are great ways that you can go to to get access into finding out about acting courses, uh, learning about, you know, uh, further down the line, auditioning for performances and all different sorts of things on a local level and sort of sort of small troops uh, in that area. So those are definitely things you can do. And, and yeah, when you're not in the L.A. area and you're in other parts of the country, maybe New York is, will be just as hard as L.A. because you got Broadway and off-off-Broadway and all that kind of stuff there, and they do lots of filming there. But in other parts of the country, it's easy to kind of get your feet wet and start to get yourself on the path of understanding uh, and learning about acting. And I would like I'd say to people, when it comes to acting, it – it isn't just you get a script, you learn some lines, and you go out there and you try to do your best performance. There are various types of acting techniques, you know, that people use. Various different philosophies around what makes a person, you know, uh, I guess, you know, a, a, an actor good, or what can help them get into a scene, or or what or what are the best techniques for this and that. So there's a whole lot of things that people can begin to study and learn. You can some things I would also suggest people can do is you can go to your local bookstore, Barnes and Nobles, and get books about acting so that you can actually get some reading into understanding the debates and discussions over different kind of acting techniques. Uh as as well as you know finding and gathering and people can do this themselves if you want to these days. You could you could you could put take a meetup group of actors in your local area, right? And then you guys can meet up, get together. You can read scenes together, talk about acting, talk about techniques, uh, uh, and and do those kind of things long before you decide to start auditioning for your local or regional uh, performances. And then you can start to put yourself out there a little bit and just say, let me just see what the audition process is like. Right? Let, 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 let me see what that was like. That's what I did. I saw what it was like. And I happened to uh, land on a, a play called The Good Times Are Killing Me when I was 10 years old. Right. Right. I went to audition. They oh, said, well, play. we don't have any roles for for you. And then they called me a week later and said, oh, we're doing this. We need you to play this kid. He's your age. Go ahead and do it. The kid dies, in the, you know, after the first act. But so what? I got a little bit of experience and got, you know, a little bit of, you know, getting $600 was fun. Cool. Right? You know, you know, for doing something <laughs> at the end, right? You know, at the end. So, so, so that's what I would say that 
people can do in, 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 in other areas, uh, is to, other parts of the country, is to figure that out because you're not going into the coffee shop where every other person is an actor. You know, you're not going, you're not going to the restaurant where every other person is an actor. And that's you're your probably, advantage. You're going to have to find, that's your advantage. You got to find them. Right. You know, I mean, I think you guys are totally right. Uh, craft is first and foremost. You know, so the first step is, I think, getting yourself into a class, basically. Um, you know, and if you don't live in a place where you can take an acting class, even considering moving, um, you know, if that's what it comes down to, uh, because I think to touch on something else that you guys have both spoken of, you know, that a sense of community is really important when you're trying to learn a thing, you know, uh, finding your people, finding people who, um, get you and get what you're trying to do and will support you and, you know, are generally trying to do the same thing. Um, you know, that's super invaluable, I think, when you're trying to get started in the arts and in life, you know, I mean, honestly, 95% of life, I think, is finding your people <laughs> and, you know, yep. sticking with them. <laughs> yeah. And sorry, also, just because as you're speaking, I thought of what you said earlier as well about how you've gotten, you've dabbled um, and I, I don't, I don't even know if the word dabble would be accurate because you, oh, you did such mention, a dabbler. And I, and I'm I, like the biggest yeah, dilettante ever. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and I, but I, I you know, I appreciate no, no, no. that you had a master of all crafts. <laughs> yeah, I had, I appreciated that you clarified that you uh, once you decided to do a thing, you went pretty damn deeply into that thing, and I think that's, um, I, I, I really appreciate kind of that, um, that point that you made and also think that when it comes to anybody's interest in um uh, this you know this realm of the the creative creative arts that um it's really useful to um explore all of these different um dimensions uh, i don't actually know many people in um the actors that i work with uh, or i are am really close to here in la and I, I don't have a large community so i have a few folks that i connect with mm. frequently and i don't know many of them who have not um done several different things um and right. so, you know, if uh, whether you're all film, no stage, but, you know, like, say for the stage folks, like, uh, it's really useful to to stage manage. It's really useful to understand how sound works. And the same goes for, for film. You know, the more you understand about all of the different roles uh, on a film set, the the more intimate you're going to be with that craft. And also important because if you're in an exploratory kind of phase, then you you probably want to figure out uh, all of the different roles that you may want to really hone your skills in. Um, and so I think that's a, a huge part of the process as well. Wow, that's, that's a lot of very useful information. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Um, so... So Millie, like your your process, since you've done so much, um, sounds like your advice really does boil down to start somewhere, dig into it, um, but be keep yourself open to options, right? Like it sounds like you found your way into filmmaking as opposed to you know being born with a camera in your hand, saying this is this is my destiny. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, um, you know, my journey, my personal journey has been very long and winding. Um, and I consider myself to be a perpetual late bloomer. Um, 
And I guess I'm okay with it. I've met, a lot of it has to do with the fact that I've met some of the most interesting people I know through the arts. Um, it's a great privilege, you know, uh, to get to create and to, um, like, to much, I mean, I, I think making any film, for example, is a privilege. You know, it's, it's, um, you know, not one to be taken for granted. And, uh, you know, I feel, I feel really lucky. Um, I, I have a really happy and fulfilling life. Um, but there's so much more I want to do, you know, um, I'm, you know, still, I'm, I'm in my early forties and I'm still, you know, working on getting to a place where I can, you know, have a, a career that pays in film. Um, but things are going well. So, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm in a good spot. That's good. It's very easy for us to feel pressure to, you know, focus up, you know, nail yourself down and, you know, like just kind of put your nose to the grindstone and, you know, get things done, get results. Um, but I think that the only way to really stick with a career in the arts is to really be process oriented, you know, to learn to enjoy, um, you know, the process of learning, um, to not, you know, put so much pressure on yourself that you can't feel open to new things. Um, you know, to let, to be kind to yourself, uh, to give yourself credit, you know, for, for doing the work and for putting yourself out there, uh, you know, so that ultimately you can find the courage to keep going. Um, that's the most important thing. Yeah. And the thing that I wanted to piggyback off of was, you know, if, you know, we talked about entering the the craft and what that means. And so I think first and foremost, that's, that's huge. Um, but then Millie, you also mentioned, you know, you're, you're working toward a place where you get paid for the films that you make. And mm -hmm. I think that's the second thing that I would mention. One, get your ass in class. Two, um, get, make your, make, make sure that you have a financial like foundation for yourself. And, and I say that after having spoken to, um, people in the creative arts, uh, there's, um, nothing that'll knock you out as, as quick as, uh, the, the finances issue. And if you're serious about any creative arts, that's gonna be your, uh, the, the one thing that you're going to have to think about and, and resolve, um, before you can continue, um, continue yeah, going totally. deeper into it. Um, and so, uh, the creative arts and, and, you know, beyond, um, you know, anything that kind of requires self-starting, freelancing, um, figure out what is going to make sense for yourself to stabilize yourself financially. And then once you figure out what that is, um, be okay with um, the reality that a part of this process is going to be the fact that you're you're not making um, you're not making much money off of it most I mean most filmmakers lose an insane amount of money uh, during uh, a lot of their films and I'm not encouraging reckless sure. spending and and executive producing but um, if you are not ready for those risks then it's just going to be a tough process where you have to learn that you have to uh, start getting comfortable with it. Yeah. And the other, other thing I would also add into it is we're living in an age where people can, you know, 
crowdsource fund a little money and they can create their own little web series. They can write it, you know, direct it, produce it, right, and put it up on YouTube and see how people respond to them, right? You know, see see how things work. I mean, we look at like the Fung Brothers, right? How well they've done, you know, using YouTube as a medium to produce, uh, write, produce, and present, uh, and even generate some revenue uh, off of the content that we that that is there. And we also see that, you know, Issa Rae got a television development deal and all of me had got a show out of starting something on YouTube straight out of college. Right. So, so there are opportunities for, and other ways for people to kind of, you know, once, once they begin to have an understanding of the craft to kind of put themselves out there uh, in a way to just generate, you know, uh, you know, immediate response or individual responses from people around the world, uh, at what the kind of content that they're putting out there and they can see how well they are. You can look at it and see, hmm, maybe my acting wasn't so good when we first started this web series or we first started doing shorts or we first started doing, you know, uh, uh, you know, sketch comedy clips or some of the things, but a year or two, I've improved, right? So you, so that gets a chance for you to even measure yourself, you know, uh, uh, how well uh, you're doing, and possibly to build your own brand. I think the Fung Brothers have done really good at building their own brand. You know, on YouTube, right? you know that they did that they did that even though they might want to be in the big Hollywood executive rooms, they've done a good job catering to an underserved, uh, you know, Asian American audience, and really built something out of that. That's true. We are heading into a, a new age where a lot of public opinion is bottom up as opposed to top down. So I think it's a really critical time to start having to start talking about these kinds of things, because actually I have a lot of problems with the way, um, particularly in, in Asian American online spaces, the way uh, we treat as a co- as a collective entity, um, like people in the creative industries, like like sometimes the reactions and criticism can get really harsh. Um, and so I and it's like it's, it's I blame Twitter. I understand the frustration is, you know, we don't have enough representation, you know, and this should be, you know, this should be directed by, you know, a lot of the power players in the room, which is, you know, the big studios, etc. And so there's a lot of uh, frustration over that. And it tends to spill out into criticism of, uh, like, like, Asian American creatives, um, and their work, like, you know, like, oh, they don't represent me. So I can't, I'm not supporting their work, or, you know, I didn't like this thing, or I didn't like that. So I'm not going to support their work. Um, and part of me kind of just wants to, and I don't think anybody has a, has an obligation, uh, to support work that doesn't agree with them. Um, but I, I also, on the other hand, feel like, 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 like there needs to be some, some understanding that we are fostering, we're trying to foster a broader talent base. Um, from this talent base, some, some will rise to take, uh, to take more prominent spots, but we need that. We need kind of that support, that baseline support for people who are actually trying to go out there and do it. Uh, and it's not going to be, I feel like there needs to be a stronger understanding that, yeah, if, um, we are an underserved community. So, you know, if we're fostering talent, this talent needs the space and the support to grow. So we can't expect a fully polished, finished product right out the gate. Uh, we can afford to, you know, uh, be a little bit more nuanced in the criticism as opposed to a flat, you know, this better be perfect from the get go, or I cannot, this, this person I can't support, their work I can't support. Um, so, I mean, just as an outsider looking at that criticism, I always felt like if I were to, you know, take a stab at something like this, um, it would, it, it feels 
riskier knowing that you know this community um has the potential of being like my worst critic mm. i don't know if you guys mm-hmm. have got a sense of that from like being online or, or anything oh, um, sure. yeah. but that was just that, that was my suspicion um yeah um and also just a quick time check i do have to head out in about two three minutes um okay but yeah, yeah. um just cool. uh, I'll, I'll quickly respond to that and then other folks can respond to it and then you can take it but um okay. i was gonna Thanks, say yeah, I was gonna say, boom, how's that for, you know, an invitation from, <laughs> from, you know, a self-proclaimed outsider. It's, uh, I mean, I think that you, yeah, I mean, you really encapsulated it in a way that I think a lot of folks in the industry would not necessarily uh, be able to do it. Um, so thanks for that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. if so only I'm, most folks had had as mature an, out, an outlook on it as you did, Jess. Uh, it would make things oh. so much easier. <laughs> I, I, I yeah yeah yeah. No, go ahead. Yeah 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 yeah. I was gonna I was gonna say that the 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 statement that you made there is important. And here's the way I would contextualize it: as the African American cinema, which has been going on to an extent since the early you know uh, you know 20th century, there's been a, there, there were tons of criticism about you know different stages. What was what was being done? You know, what was being produced when it wasn't us behind the cameras producing the stuff. But even as we started to produce stuff behind the cameras, there was, you know, there were there were always a, there was always sort of a divide, right? There was a divide over the people that said, well, hey, you know, I like the black exploitation movies. And others said, well, I just think this is a bunch of stereotypical crap. I don't want to see it. And then later on, as as you got into the you know the late eighties, early nineties, there was the gangster movies don't represent me. Why is this all we're getting? Then they flipped over and then people thought, here are these movies about bougie black people. They don't represent me. So there was always sort of a, you know, uh, uh, there was always sort of a criticism coming back and forth. And then I think the, I think Tyler Perry really set it off because, you know, people had a lot of criticisms about the type of content that he was doing, the way he was telling his stories from play to story. But if yet, once, if people, if, if people took a step back, right, and eventually, People would. I had criticisms too initially. You would realize he built his own studio out in Georgia, right? Sure. People can use the studio to film stuff, and and so he may be doing stuff that a lot of critics may think are crap, crap. But he's making money off of. But he's using that money to actually build and, and build build up an ability for uh, uh, you know individual people of color, particularly African Americans, to be able to have a place to use. You know, you know, to to film their to film their stuff, right? To do it on a cheaper level, to to go outside of Hollywood and say, I don't need to be, you know, in the midst of Hollywood to be able to do the same thing that they're doing. So I think that, you know, if you're looking at the Asian American community, I would say that you're you're at the you're at the stage of heavy 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 criticism because there's so few people, right? And when there's so few people, then there's the expectation that whoever the person is, whoever the few that are out there, they've got to be able to be all things to all Asian Americans. And if they're not all things to all Asian Americans, and nobody's going to be happy. The more people that there right. are coming out there creating stuff, the more diversity of content. All of a sudden, that starts to pull back away, and people start to say, "Well, you know, you know, if you don't like Empire." You can watch it, you know, greenly. Right? You can watch <laughs> yeah. it. You've got a variety of yeah. things. <laughs> right. yeah. No, I really appreciate that. Yeah, that's a, it's important to contextualize. Like, like you're right. Like African American cinema has a much longer history, but um, like this is just these are the same growing pains for every segment. So yeah, I, I really appreciate taking that that wide angle look 
add where it's where it's like this isn't a unique problem specific to this one community like it plays into very uh very common stories that other groups have had to face on their uh on their journeys throughout through history too so i really appreciate that um Kriyan, i know you have to go um do you have any closing comments or anything that you wanted to put out there um nope i think we pretty much uh summarize it all i love when I actually bring up that example of how Tyler Perry create, you know, built his own studio. I, I love that example. Um, yeah, I mean, just co-sign everything that, that all of you have said, um, throughout the podcast. And again, if you're trying to do it, um, get started by doing it. (laughs) Mm, Awesome. Very important. (laughs) There's a limit to how much story how much pinteresting and planning you you should do before just yeah and and, and, and when i say and, and when i say do it i don't mean go search for a manager when you've never acted a day in your life right <laughs> yeah so start small really think about what you're doing educate yourself and then kind of leave yourself open to to whatever comes next mm-hmm. that would that be that right Cool. Yeah, and okay. do the thing well, that thank the you, most Kim. beautiful the the most beautiful part of it is obviously the the work itself, whether it's writing, acting, um, you know, directing, cinematography. Um, that's the best part, um, and it's the most enriching. And I, you know, just like Millie was saying, like I I feel like in immeasurable amount of gratitude um that whatever it is that i've done in my life has led me to this place um and so it's the best part so that's what i mean when i say do it (laughs) um thank you jess for coordinating and making this conversation happen awesome thank you so much have a great rest of the day queen all right i'm gonna jump off bye queen thank you see ya bye bye um so uh so any other topics um we should cover that you think might be pertinent uh i know i've been kind of asking most of the questions but i wanted to open it up a little in case there's a direction you guys wanted to take oh yeah no worries um do you feel like we've covered what you wanted to talk about oh god there's so much to talk about Uh, honestly like for me yeah i mean there's so much right (laughs) um yeah yeah yeah, well, I think there's, I think one thing, I think one thing we could talk about, which I think is kind of very good related to this, is particularly as actors within this greater field, as people of, you know, as people of color, how do we find our voice? Because, you know, once we're going out here into the, this, this, taking these classes, you're usually not that many of us in there, right? Right? So, so we've got to figure out, you know, who we are, right? You know, what do we represent, right? Or who do we want to represent when we're, you know, when we're acting or when we're writing or when we're directing? What do we want to represent? Sure. And that's always, that's been something, that, that, that was something for me uh, that I had to learn because I figured out, well, I can't, you know, I'm not, you know, if I wanted to, to do big movies or TV, I just can't do the gangster thing. And I think that that would, that would be the immediate thing people would 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 want to send me out to auditions for at least back in the day i thought i was young but i think that's probably what they'd want i can't do that so i'm like i guess i would end up being the the carlton on the fresh bench of bel-air because that would be the only thing they would cast me as now i can see myself (laughs) way beyond something like that and say okay now i understand a sense of who i am now i understand a, a sense of you know you know what character types i can play 
And even from the writing side, because I've dabbled into the writing side, now I have a good sense of saying, you know, how can I have seven different, you know, African-American characters and they all have their own distinctive personality types, right, and represent that. And I think of the thing of I, I generally hate reading books, but I like reading scripts, right? Those are my favorite things. So the way I read books is if I'm reading if I'm reading a novel – I have to imagine actors in the roles, right? And I can take a, a I can take a book like to say a novel, a book that's featuring white people, and I'll just recast them, you know, people of color, mm. right? I'll just change it, I'll just change them, and then I'll I'll just all of a sudden read it that way, right? I'll read it that way, and I'll imagine this is how these how these people would be like this way and that way. But I think that's important uh, for us, particularly uh, when you're talking about Asian Americans now entering into the acting fray, you know, and and in Hollywood and being trying to figure out. What a, you know, with the expanded representation, how do I get cast now? Because they're not going to just put a smock on you and have you speak with an accent, right? Or you're not just going to be the tech geek anymore. Where, 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 where do I see myself outside of that, right? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting uh, topic, um, and I think uh, I would like to go into that just a little bit. Then um, I think we we touched on you know as a community, I I do feel like we have an expanded responsibility to help foster that talent pool uh, for creatives coming up. Um, that being said, um, we have some problematic creators out there too. So as creatives yourselves, sure. I I did wanted to talk about you know where you find that balance between you know your individual artistic voice, you know putting out what you want to creating what you want to create and balancing the fact that um, as representatives, uh, it's an unfair burden for sure. Um, it's a burden that say white creatives never have to contend with. Um, it's an unfair burden, but it is one that exists nonetheless, that uh, you are representing um, more than just yourselves. So like, so for, so a lot of, you know, Asian American creatives, I, uh, so I can see both ways, right? The creatives come out, they produce something that's that's considered problematic, and the criticism is harsh, deservedly so. Um, but on the other hand, I can also see, you know, it is an unfair burden for these creatives to have to feel that kind of responsibility. And I can imagine that that can act as a constraint on the kind of work that you do. Uh, right, declining certain types of declining to write certain types of characters or declining to uh, take on these kinds of jobs or something. Um, and so if they respond by saying, well, it's not my response, I never positioned myself as an activist or as a representative of the community. So I feel like this is, this criticism is completely unfounded. Um, I, I have some sympathy for that too. Like, of course it's an unfair burden. Um, but as part of a wider society, it is one that nonetheless exists on your shoulders. Yeah. So, and, um, and how I do think... you guys kind of confront that, that tension there? I think it's a very personal choice. Um, because, you know, it's safe to say that David, Quien and I, you know, feel a certain social responsibility as Asian Americans. Um, you know, but not all Asian American artists will. And I think that's totally legit. Um, you know, I don't think there are any easy answers at all. Um, but one thing is clear to me, which is that you will be crucified on Twitter no matter what you do. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's really yeah. important to stick to your guns, you know, make what you want to make um, and understand, you know, I, I think like it, all artists, you know, need um, the time and space to develop a thicker skin. 
but that's especially true for artists who are people of color uh, because, you know, we do face greater scrutiny, um, you know, in some ways, harsher criticism. And, you know, a a therapist gave me advice once and I, at the time I totally ignored it. You know, I was like, yeah, whatever. (laughs) He said, um, it's not about uh, what other people think. It's about the fact that you have a voice and that you're using it. And at the time I said, you know, that's very general stock advice. Thank you. (laughs) Uh, But the more I think about it, (laughs) the more true it's become. Um, You know, you have to find a way to express yourself, even when you don't feel comfortable, um, you know, putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, Um, you know, and there isn't any way to please everyone. So find a way to please yourself. Learn, you know, get to know yourself as an artist, your particular aesthetic, uh, what turns you on, you know, because you there will be others like you who, you know, enjoy what you enjoy um, and make those things and try not to worry about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I would also second that. And, when, and as, um, you know, as you were uh, talking about this, I was just thinking about another great example uh, this one is Lee Daniels. Lee Daniels has been criticized because his films are very dark, right? You know, yeah. you know and then Monsters Ball, Precious, right? Uh, you know, Precious. Uh, they they have very dark themes. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yep. Very dark themes, and and he gets a lot of criticism, you know, because of some of the controversial themes that are uh, portrayed uh, in his films. And I think that if you're going to be doing things that might be viewed as controversial as a person of color and that people are going to be questioning you about, then not only do you have to have strong and thick skin, but you need to really be able to – you need to have a whole philosophy philosophy behind it. What is the purpose of it, right? What What is the message you're trying to get out in the film? What are the themes in there, right? You know, because that's what people really want to hear, and that can sometimes make the difference between, you know, people who are – you know, with the criticism where people can have a, a better understanding, whether they agree or not at the end of the end of the day, they have a better understanding. Are you telling, st- are, you know, are you, are, you know, are you telling a certain kind of story? Are you trying to present a certain message? Precious is about, you know, obviously sexual abuse. It's very dark, right? You know, uh, uh, you're seeing Monsters Ball, which is a very dark story. And you see things like Angela Bassett turned down the role, uh, the main role in Monsters Ball because she viewed the role as being uh, a white man's whore. And Halle Berry mm-hmm. saw the role very differently. So you mm-hmm. can have two actors who look at the same role and they can see very different things out of it, right? They can get very different ideas about how it is. So it is, as you say, very individual, you know, in the, in the, in the way in which we think about it. And we really have to be able to own, uh, uh, own up to it, stand up to it and really defend it. And just one more thing I'd say, you know, when, when the movie The Help came out, uh, Octavia Spencer and Viola Davis, um, it was a very, it was, it was a very popular film, but, they found that whenever they were being interviewed for the film from sort of the mainstream press, it was very pleasant. And when they when they got to the black media, it was very critical. Like, why are you playing maids, right? Right? Why are you doing this, right? And uh, watching their interviews, they started to get very, very defensive, right? 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 You know, and, you right, know they, yeah. they, and it was very, very, very defensive in in there, in there. and not in a negative way. It was defensive because they were just tired of having to to justify why they, you know, why, why they take on the roles in these movie in these movies and what the roles meant and why right. these stories need I mean, to be that's, told. That's they did a great its job. own conversation too. I mean, mm-hmm. I did find it troubling that, you know, these 
like movies where people of color are having a really bad time seem to do so well with white audiences. Um, yes, they do. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so even though you know you give the you give them they give them the Academy Awards, uh, you know they get accolades, they get on you know the inner cover of uh, prominent industry magazines, things like that. But at the same time, like why is it so easily? Why is it so easy to accept this particular narrative? So um, I, I don't mean yeah, to dive into all that. I think we definitely should. But it's, uh, I mean, brings up, you know, audiences, right? If you're a creative, you you need an audience. And mm-hmm. I think uh, it's worth, like, talking through, you know, what kind of audiences are out there and what different kinds of reception and what what validation means across different audiences. So I remember when the help was, was going around the circles feeling very troubled by how... Um, by how critical I don't think you and I think from the black community I never got a sense of it being hostile but it was very it was it was very rigorous in making sure that these creatives were able to defend their work uh, and were showing up for the right reasons before you know this before they would step up to support um so as long as I think we have we're walking that line and it doesn't devolve into oh you know Viola Davis is like selling out uh, black people with her depictions of you know blackness on screen or something um then I, I think i think the critical reaction from you know the white community and the black community around movies like that was very informative to me and in how i think about media criticism myself as an asian american um so that's i just want that was just i just kind of tossed that out there as a diversion but um but i definitely i'm definitely hearing what you're what you're saying there yeah yeah, and uh, and here's a here's a question. I guess I could throw out one because I think it's kind of an interesting thing. Is Lucy Liu? She's a, she's one of the most controversial actors. Oh, you think? How come? <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when it you know, it, it's interesting when talking to other Asian Americans. You talk about actors. Don't mention Lucy Liu. Either either either, either people love her or they hate her, right? And so I was like, is is the love or hate because? She's just been the only one getting all the roles, right? And you want other people to get the roles, or is there something deeper to 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 the criticism of her? Because it's naturally, it's never really the criticism of what role she's taken. It's just she can't act. She's not good. You know, I don't like her, right? Right. Yeah, I mean, she was one of the OGs. Uh, I remember, you know, she yeah, I agree. she's always kind of been on the periphery of my awareness growing up. You know, in high school, I think she, um, she, I was in middle school. Uh, when she had that like, recurring there was Allie role McBeal. on Ally McBeal, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and she had a couple of uh, roles in uh, in movies. I never, I, I don't think I've watched any of them. I know they're pretty. If we look at them from a 2018 lens, it's it it doesn't look good, right? She is very much tokenized, <laughs> exoticized. Um, mm-hmm. But she was there, right? Um, so yeah, I and feel she's like, done you well know, for herself. Yeah. So as far as um, so I feel too. I I don't I don't feel quite right in flexing on people like like her um, from today's from the position of you know twenty being in twenty eighteen when the landscape is notably different. Um, so I I would I want to think that if the opportunities had been there for her to take on deeper, uh, more you know humanized roles, that she would have taken them. But I feel like the criticism around her right now is uh, takes takes the kind of work she did at face value um and then sees her and her sees her representation as detrimental for the you know for over the overall imaging of asian americans at large and i feel that's unfair 
Um, yeah, it so, is. I mean, it's people I think like this her, is one of the just reasons. the fact that she was there. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it's presence like that. Like, it starts in, in fits and spurts, and it's a trickle. Um, but I feel like there is a collective weight to that, that, you know, with time, allows more doors to be open. Like, I uh, I remember, you know, in the CR, the Crazy Rich Asians uh, press blitz, um, one thing that Michelle Yeoh, uh, said um, in an interview was was quite was moving to me. She said, "This is a role. Um, I wish this movie had been around when I was, you know, a younger actress starting out. Uh, I'm still glad to be yeah. a part of it in you know in the capacity that I'm in. But a movie like this would have changed the game for you know an, a young actress like myself, um, like 20, 30 years ago. So you know, it's it's kind of like it's it, it it's a." You need these opportunities for creatives to step up. It's it's a chicken and the egg. Uh, I think Millie, you, you you mentioned that before too, right? Like you need that yeah. creative environment to foster this talent that creates more talent and more opportunities, and that kind of snowballs and takes on a weight of its own. Right. Um. So yeah, I, I, like Michelle, like Lucy Liu, uh, Sandra O oh, um, is another. Uh, I think she has less. She's less controversial. Uh, just, I think it's because she played a doctor on TV for so long, um, and takes on like more cerebral, like indie kind of roles. Oh, mm-hmm. have you guys seen Catfight? I yeah. saw a part of Catfight. Yeah. I thought it was hilarious. I have no <laughs> idea what I was really looking at, but it was amazing. Um, was the whole thing so, good? I didn't watch um, the whole movie. Um, I mean, it's the premise is extremely simple. So the so the plot is it just follows. It's it's very predictable, um, but the pleasure is in watching Sandra O oh and I forget who her her counterpart was. Yeah, so do I. Um, at any rate, yeah, just watching them go at each other and just ruin <laughs> each other's lives over, yeah. over and over again. That that part was fun. Um, Brilliant. <laughs> I mean. And if we're talking about controversial actors, we can't we can't ignore Ken Jeong. Uh, mm, sure. So, uh, and I think there's a, I mean, it, it gets tricky because then now we're talking about you know gendered racist burdens upon <laughs> creatives, which is already you know an uphill fight. Mm-hmm. So it's like we're just piling these bricks on your shoulders as you're trying to struggle up this hill. No pressure, uh, guys, so, but it's all on you now. No, not at all. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's, I mean, it's it's tough. So I just really wanted to just just talk about that because I I really feel for you guys, <laughs> um, and it's it's a tandem effort, right? It's, I just feel bad to be to be kind of in the more in the perspective of the audience and just kind of sitting back, chilling, and then like flinging rocks at creatives <laughs> who who do try to carry this burden over the hill. Um, yeah, yeah, and it is one of those things where you see something. And uh, like, you know, if you want to call it the mainstream, and you say they didn't have a person of color in that room because if they did, somebody would have told them not to do this, right? Somebody would have told them what you were going to get. You're going to yeah. get this kind of response, you yeah. know. Yeah. If, if 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 you do, if you know, if you do this sort of thing, and even in this whole creative industry, I mean, when we're talking about people of color, I mean, now we're coming up in Hollywood over, you know, who is appropriate for the role, right? You know, are you? Does, is the immigrant appropriate for the role of an American person of color? Is the American person of color more important for the role than it is, right? You know, so you're even seeing right. that become uh, a, a new, a new, a new part of debate where uh, some of the producers in Hollywood want to go to Great Britain to find actors, right? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and so people in 
people say, say are saying there now. Wait a minute, you know, there are a lot of there there are a lot of talent out here already, right? People trying trying to get their way up. Lots of people who could do this role, and you're just going overseas, right? Mm-hmm. Right. So the criticisms <laughs> become even yeah. more complicated and nuanced, and complicated. completely valid too. You know, so yeah. then what? Mm-hmm. I see that. I yeah. mean, this is still a conversation that ten years ago would have sounded so uh, unfathomably privileged, right? To the point where we do talk, you know, in very mainstream, widely read publications, we talk. Um, people will actually talk about, well, Crazy Rich Asians was great, but it, you know, was it okay that we had, you know, non-Singaporean, you know, Chinese people playing these roles? Um, you know, it leaves out this whole population. And then, you know, and then for, uh, black cinema, I thought it was really great to start to see, uh, real commentary about colorism. Uh, yeah. like there was a lot of, um, I forget what movie it was for, but um, a light-skinned uh, actress declined a role, saying and, and came out saying like, that, "No, this one should go to a darker-skinned uh, actress. Uh, this is not appropriate for me." Um, and I thought that for Black, was for Black Black Panther. Uh, was oh, it the okay, Nina yeah, Simone yeah. biopic? I feel like uh, that's well, no, no, into... yeah. Well, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. The Black Panther. Uh, it was. It was the. Um, what's the actress's name from The Hate You Give? Amanda Stenberg, uh, uh, the star of the yeah 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 Stenberg Stenberg yeah yeah she was she was basically offered offered the role of T'Challa's sister right right oh right. I see you yeah. know in there yeah 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 and she turned the role down saying that you know understanding given the context of of the world they're supposed to live in isolated right for the rest of the world for all this time there would be no way that somebody like her you know would have mm-hmm. been born right you know out of, out of that sort of into the group so she turned the role down. Uh, um, uh, under that context. And, and I know the Nina Simone movie, which, uh, Zoe, Zoe Saldana had taken on the role, uh, in that movie was heavily cr- criticized, pan, and it, whatever happened, it, 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 I think it was released, but it was just, just, it was just like a bleep and it was gone, right? Yeah. Uh, it was but quietly the, but disappeared. The writer, the, yep, yep. The, 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 you know, you know, people were like, you know, for Nina Simone, who is a dark skinned African American woman, her being dark skin and and the experience of being dark skin was important to her story, right? So why would you cast somebody who is not dark skin, who may who may be you know who is a per who is someone of African descent, you know, as this case Afro Latino, so she may know something about colorism, but she she is not going to have the necessary same experience as someone, you know, because the first actor I would think of if you if you're going to do Nina Simone would be Viola Davis, right? She would be the perfect for the role. I think she would embody the whole thing. And the, you know, the director of the film, she was like, well, it's not even, uh, you know, she was like, well, this is more of a fantasy. It's, it's, it's a love story. And even the guy that Nina Simone was supposed to have been in love with, a Caucasian man, uh, the family came out and said the guy was gay, right? Mm-hmm. So why are you even, so why are you, what, what are you doing, right? What is, yeah. what, what is your whole conception of, of doing that? And that was just to show you that, uh, and, and this, is one of the reasons why Viola Davis, I can't think of the name of her production company, but she started a production company because she's like, there's certain stories she wants to tell. And she, and she knows that if she wants to do this, she's going to have to start her own production company, right? So she's going to pour some of that revenue that she gets from, you know, how to get away with murder, right? You know, that she's making from there into it. And just like when she took the role in how to get away with murder, she didn't want to do a television show. She said, I was only going to do film. And then she said, she looked at, she read the script and she said, she thought about it and she said, I'm doing this for all those girls out there who've never seen themselves like this on the TV screen, right? Right. Mm. right. This is That's what amazing. I'm going to do. I'm going to play a complex character. 
Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. So, I mean, that's a hopeful note. I mean, we talked about, you know, Tyler Perry, who's um, mm-hmm. done quite well for himself, but also seems to be really building um, something of his own to foster that, that mm-hmm. talent. Um, I think it's... Maybe we'll close on a on a hopeful note because I really do see a lot of optimism for uh, for media in the upcoming years, when it's no longer about you know banging on the doors of you know, we all know it's a racist sexist establishment. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean we we're still in the middle of you know a years long referendum on sexual harassment, on racism, on prejudice and bias in in these major studios. And like you mentioned earlier, David, there's a whole network of community funded, you know, way more opportunities now for the community to actually step up um, to get Mm -hmm. to support the people that they want to support. And now we have established people, the people who, you know, that, you know, if we actually, if we were to be critical of their roles, a lot of these people would have started out badly right they took on uh roles that may have been maybe considered problematic but they stuck it out they survived they thrived they're successful now and they're now uh planting the seeds for more stories to be told so i actually i really do want to give a moment of respect for people who did survive that you know a horrible time in uh in a system that was dead set against allowing them in and then that ne- they're now flexing on behalf of, you know, the people that they, you know, their people. I think it's a really positive mm-hmm. sign. Mm-hmm. Totally. You know, it feels like yes. two steps, uh, what is it? One step forward, two steps back. But, you know, we're moving forward. Mm-hmm. Things are getting better, I think. Yeah. So do you guys see optimism or, you know, do you, how do you guys feel about, yeah. you know, say the next couple of years? Um, have you noticed a change um, as a result of these big, you know, headline making, um, you know, events in media? Have you noticed a change on the ground and how your work is received or, you know, what kind of opportunities come your way? Anything like that? Well, let me let me just start out by saying, yes, I have seen a massive amount of a massive amount of change. And, and I'm going to just cite this back to saying, you know, Empire was like the beginning for television of this new this new wave explosion of of of, of African American cinema and I cinema but television right right because the show just came out and it was like the number one show in its first season right you know for on television right it was this big thing and it was a it was a a, a, a soap opera right hmm. at nighttime with with people with money and a whole different thing and so you just started to see a springboard. Of other things coming, you started to see other shows with other people of color coming on. You see, like what's the Quintacto and all these different things. So there was it was a great launching pad to see that television is the place that was. You, you see Hawaii Five All, all these different shows. So I've seen so I've seen that be like you know uh, uh, a major change. And now we've just seen in Hollywood, right? Particularly in this last year, I, I, I noted um, I noted that. 29 films uh, that that and there's still a few films still more to come out but in total for 2018 there will have been 29 films between big budget to indie films that have either had African not African American sorry but people of color regardless African American Asian or Latino as either the leads or the cast being majority you know people of color in those casts so we've had that's a lot we know normally people of color don't normally get that usually it may be three films for black people a year and you may see some asian americans pop up somewhere you know in the supporting role in the film but they actually have multiple different films right telling multiple different narratives 
and and with individuals being in the lead that's a that's a great big change and between that and television what i've seen it kind of kind of be be reflective on is I've seen, uh, even for my uh, digital media sites that I do, I've seen more interest, uh, from people in Hollywood contacting us to say, hey, would you like to cover this? You know, we, you know, we, we, you know, would you like to feature this actor? You know, would you like to cover, uh, cover this individual? Would you like to talk about this show? And just to let you know, cause this is a real positive note for us, Man of the Hour is going to be releasing, it might take another week, but we're going to be releasing our very first, uh, magazine, right? Which is a supplementary magazine called MH Style. And I'm not going to give the name, but we, our cover interview is one of the cast members of Crazy Rotations. Cool. Oh, wow. So that's, that's awesome, yeah, David. So that's been a big bit. So, so that's a benefit. So that's a positive note of saying that's where it's got to. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. That's really awesome. You know, I was, as and you, you have remember, to let us just, know when it drops. Yes, please do, David. Yeah. Uh, Jesse may recall I was super skeptical about, you know, any lasting effect crazy rotations could have on Hollywood. Um, but I have mm-hmm. to say, you know, I, I think that, I think that it has had a bit of an effect. Um, I read the trades, you know, uh, websites like Deadline and Hollywood Reporter and Variety. And, um, there has been a serious spate of, you know, announcements of new, new projects starring Asians. Um, like very recently, I think this week, uh, HBO announced a show called K-Town, um, which I'm kind yeah. of excited to watch. Um, I think it's about K-Town in LA. So that's something mm-hmm. to look forward yeah. to. Um, you know, Shimu Liu and his, uh, what was it, manifesto for uh, Hollywood and representation in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. Um, yeah, it definitely feels yeah, like there's that kind of was the, a lot uh, to look forward to. The Yes, uh, Shimu Liu, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. I'm not either. I'm going to push forward anyway. Yep. Yeah, his call to action on Twitter is kind of what gave me the concept for, for this podcast. Because um, I was all fired up and was like, yeah, maybe I'll write, I don't know, a script? How do you write a script? Oh, shit. I don't know how to write a script. All right. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and you got to think about it. You got to think about it. Henry Golding is turning out to be a little star. He's he's becoming yeah. he's become, he's becoming a bankable star, right? And so he's going to lead the way for for Asian Americans, you know, particularly among the males, you know, in, in into having you know, the first bankable star, the first person who can actually feel, you know, uh, seats at the movie theater. You saw he had a second movie that came out directly after that, A Simple Plan, which did very well in the theaters. He's already got a third, you know, um, role that he's doing. So so he's being able to jump back and forth uh, between it. So I think there's there's a lot. I, I'm feeling like there's a lot of opportunity uh, coming coming out of the way. And, and uh, Hollywood has done this. And of all the people that I think has also helped to motivate Hollywood, in a strange way, to mention him, not to be political, Donald Trump has motivated Hollywood. It's motivated itself to prove that, yeah. th- that they stand yeah. by the principles that they believe in. Oh, but Jess, yeah. I wanted to say, so if you wanted to write a script, yeah. I would be so excited. We should talk. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I just got really fired up. That's that's all. I was like, hey, yeah. I don't know. What, what could I do that doesn't mean I have to go on a diet? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so we, we should talk. <laughs> we'll talk for sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, but I mean, I was just so I was thrilled to see to see these uh, industry figures actually, you know, extend a hand out. You know, um, I really liked how you know the Kim's Convenience stars really. Uh, I I think they really they're really doing well at the Twitter game. They're reaching out to fans. You know, they're connecting at a really like 
individual grassroots level. Um, and it was really heartwarming to see the reception over that show and just exactly like how, um, and these stars, uh, were acting so much just like people, you know, they were saying, Hey, on Twitter, joking around with ordinary yeah, people. Totally. Um, and you know, Simu's, you know, openly soliciting, you know, people to hit him up with concepts, with, cre- with work, um, with anything. So he could actually you know, extend a handout and pull someone up alongside with him. And I thought that was just a really, a really... It was a heartwarming thing to see, and that's that's a hard thing for this jaded little person to have to admit. <laughs> but I mean, I am really hoping to see more of that um, yeah. in upcoming years. Yeah, I mean, it's I'm, not I mean, just, I'm just your dying success. To be able to buy a ticket to your movie, Millie. Oh, thanks, Jess. Well, me too. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we wanted. Yes, we're wait, We're waiting for you to get your you know award nomination, right? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. yeah. I'm right back at you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't get that going. Um, right. but, but, but I also think here's the other thing that's really important. I think that there's been a greater emphasis for a while there of the award shows that cater toward people of color, even people of color didn't care as much about. And now there's a reinvestment, there's a reinterest in those sort of things, right? So now the NAACP Awards has a lot more interest in it over the last four or five years. The interest in it has become more increasingly that people are not looking at it as if, oh, it's secondary to the Oscars or the Globes, right? Now it's being looked at as equal to the Globes. You're seeing, you're seeing these sort of different things happening where those award ceremonies are getting much more attention and, and, and people are re-energizing and reinvesting and, you know, in the honors that we get from our own communities, uh, uh, you know, uh, as opposed to just always you know, hoping that, you know, the Academy gives us a, a nomination. Yeah, Emmys, that's RV. really true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, the Oscars and, you know, those three, what is it, the uh, the SAG Awards, um, the Oscars. I know there's like a trifecta of them in January. The, glo- the, glo- the Globe. Golden the Globe. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then um, it, then they kind of sucked the, up the, all the, the air in the room. Awards. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, but even those, um, I mean, Viewership has always been declining for over the last, you know, decade. People were just getting jaded on the entire thing. It just seemed like the same old, same old, you know. And I mean, I know for me, like, I I haven't watched the cer- that ceremony for, you know, like five, at least five years. Um, it just doesn't seem to mean anything anymore. And just recently, you know, uh, with all of these new uh, movies and shows out, I, I actually found myself being drawn more to those, uh, to more community like based award shows like you were talking about the NAACP like that just seemed sexier and more exciting like it actually it meant something um more so than uh like just watching a whole parade of very glossy white women accept uh awards and pretending to cry through their botox uh, at the academy awards <laughs> right <laughs> yes 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 i know what you mean I, i'm i'm and and also knowing like when i when i think of like the primetime emmys right it's like, well, you kind of know who's going to be nominated almost every year, right? It's almost, almost yeah. like the same people, right? You're going to be nominated yeah. until your show goes off there, right? You know, if you're, yeah. and you're going to be nominated because you're, you're, you know, you're, you're the most popular individual, you know, you know, individual at the moment. You know, it's going to be the same four, five, six shows that get the same nominations, and there's not that much, uh, of, you know, of a change, right? There may be a little bit of, uh, some sort of inclusion of somebody new or somebody in here, uh, which sometimes just feels like you just you you did it for you know you know for diversity's sake, 
but yeah. I do think that as but but I do think that as more and more people of color are start to succeed in this creative field and 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 learn the game of how you got to get into these systems, right? We we have an effect on not only who gets nominated, but we can have an effect on who gets to win, right? Right. So we can really right. go in there and play and change and change it and say, you know, I like Meryl Streep, but. She'll need to be nominated every time she do a movie. Every movie she does is not like Academy Award worthy, right? You know, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're just nominating her because she's because it's Meryl Streep, right? And right. And 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 if you don't nominate her, you're not gonna be invited to the dinner, right? You know, yeah. you got to you got to make that change. So so it's really so so it's yeah. Really that, for the longest so really time, it was just like watching like the Academy Awards just felt like watching Hollywood High's prom or something. Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah, a very yeah, it, insidery. Yeah. Oh, is that actually what they call it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what people actually do call it. They kind of label it, <laughs> nickname it. You know, it, it is it it is the prom, and Meryl Streep is the high priestess of the prom. Yeah. The kind of way they said it is that Meryl Streep uh, uh, is like you know the mean girl in the you know in the high school that everybody likes, right? You know, you know, you know, she's the popular girl, and everybody's got to you know everybody else has got to you know you you whenever you see her, you've got to. You know, you know, you, you've got to acknowledge her. You know, you got to get on one knee to say, "Hey, you know, you know, I, you know, I like you." And she's very good. She's she's a very good actress, obviously, and very a fairly decent person. But it is like a, it is like a popularity contest. Even like the Emmys is like a popularity contest. It's like, oh, you know, this woman's going to be nominated. I know she's going to be nominated again. This one's going to be nominated. So it's just like a prom of people self congratulating the same people over and over again. You know. Uh, uh, all you know for for roles, and sometimes being congratulated for roles that you look at and you say, "Well, I didn't really think there was anything special about that movie, but for some reason they think you know you know you know they think that uh, you know that was the that was the you know that was the greatest thing in the world, and you think, well, this movie here is exactly the kind of movie you would normally nominate, but you don't nominate. So it was kind of like people said, like if the movie Waiting to Exhale had been about a group of white women, that would have been Academy Award nominated. And somebody would have won Best Actress for burning a car, right? You know, in a scene, rolling the car and burning it. So, so, so you know, you what you knew that, so you just say, oh. But I think also on a positive note, there, all the efforts that are being done by the Academy, right, to uh, to diversify its, uh, 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 you know, its 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 in, the people who can be members of the Academy, right, and going out sourcing out more people of color, you know, to of all stripes to be in there, uh, doing it the same way with the Emmys and all the other things that they're able to kind of overcome starting to overcome the bias is you have a lot of you had a lot of members who are older older white people right who you know generally speaking they watch what they watch and it's usually not going to be you right right and you know so 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 they're so they're so their voting is based on the things that they like to see right you know which is like a movie about you know a a young girl from the 19th century trying to write a book Right. And, you know, getting over that's going to be, that's going to be <laughs> yeah. the thing for them. Yeah. I'm talking about Colette. Yeah. I'm talking about Colette, you know, or the wife. I'm right. not saying there are bad movies, but those are the kind of things they're going, those are the things, older Academy Award, Award, uh, you know, or not Academy Award, but Academy members, those are the things they're going to seek out. They're not going to be seeking out, you know, uh, sorry to bother you. Right. 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 To think yeah. about that. So no, it, they should be because sorry to bother you is awesome. Yes, 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 they should be. Yes, they should be. Right. So, so it takes them more diverse and in this case, even younger. You know, uh, you know, growing group of Academy members to really understand. Yeah, this is this is a very this is a very good film, and very good films don't have to be like 18th century Britain or France, right? They don't have to be, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. They don't hope have, not. you know, they don't have to, they don't have to be. Hope not, you know, they don't have yeah. to be, you know, they they don't have to be movies like, you know, 
you know, the scent of the night, right? You know, you know, starring Kira Knightley or somebody or any of these sort of things <laughs> that they can be all these different types of films that they can, ha- that you can tell, uh, 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 dramatic stories that you can have a story that says, you know, uh, um, you know, the China rift and it actually stars Chinese people, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know, that it can be that sort of way. You nice. can do that and that there are multiple different ways you can look at what films are worthy of, 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 of acclimatization, what films really reach that. So I think on, that's another positive note that we're seeing is that slow change of really being able to say that once you diversify, you know, people within the academy, people within these governing boards that are deciding on or participating in figuring out who are going to be the nominees for different awards, that you you get a better selection of very, very, very good people who are deserving of it uh, uh, and, 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 and in a meaningful way. And I think that's also when we look at the ratings, I think part of the reason, too, why people dip away is because they're like saying have these people they nominate and I don't care about I don't care about the I don't care about that, you know, and so so we're seeing mm-hmm. that change. Uh, and, and you're starting to get it in. And the final thing I would say is, you know, there was controversy over, over that new category they were going to uh, introduce to the Academy, the one that was supposed to be like the most, uh, popular film category, right? Right. And they wanted to do that because they wanted to put like the, that was where they were going to put like a Crazy Rich Asians and a Black Panther, right? And, you know, uh, those kind of films that, uh, and, you know, uh, what, what is it? Uh, is it, I wonder. I forget who it, what studio it was behind uh, Marvel Studios and the, the major parent company uh, behind uh, producing Black Panther said they were they were they were pursuing the main Best Picture nomination and they still are going to do it regardless of whether this new category was going to come. And so then the Academy decided to pull the cate- the category away because because people felt like you're doing this because you don't want Black Panther you know to be like you know to to have it in the main category. Because if you vote against it, you think that you'll be perceived as racist to do it. So they got rid of it and said, we're just going to let things work the way they are. So I think that's a positive thing that they're realizing, you know, just let things flow the way they flow. Uh, so let's just let's just collect some last closing thoughts and then we can round it out. Uh, Millie, do you want to do you have, do you want to go? No, don't have that much more to add here. Um I think this is okay. a really I mean, great. To. Oh no! Yeah, no. I, this is a great time for POC creators. You know, I think fight the fo- fight the good fight. You know, and onward and upward. Focus on the positive. Cool. So, what do you have on your on your plate? Um, what's uh, what's ahead for you? Oh, you know, I always have a bunch of projects. Um, fortunately, lucky me, truly. Um, right now, I am. <laughs> Producing a music video that we're shooting in two weeks for an Asian American singer songwriter named Priska. She's from your neck of the woods, oh, wow. Jess. Um, uh-huh. She's Chinese yeah. American and she's from Pasadena, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really yeah, like I her music, her. and she's really good friends with um, a good friend and collaborator of mine, Sheldon Chow, who I went to school with. And so, and she's coming out here actually. Um, so we'll be. Um, shooting that in two weeks and it'll probably be done by the end of November. Um, it's going to be epic. <laughs> Excited to share it with you guys. Uh, there's that. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Um, what else? I mean, you know, uh, I'm producing a, a, sh- a pilot that I produced um, has some traction going on it. Uh, the writer director is my friend Ruthie. And we took it to this indie film market called IFP Week about a month ago. Um, and it has gotten a ton of attention. So we find ourselves in a very fortunate position of getting ready to sell the show. Um, 
you know, fingers crossed. I mean, like, you know, many things would need to happen for this to actually happen, but we're, but we're in a really good spot. You know, we have a fairly well-known production company supporting us along with the, you know, major Hollywood agent that represents that production company. Um, so we're going to start to now put together a pitch deck and, you know, get ready to actually take it out to networks and stuff. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an exciting time for that project. Um, and, you know, awesome. besides that, That's just, you know, so working on my own scripts and, you know, uh, I'm actually getting ready to hunker down and write for six months um, because I really need to focus on that. Uh, I found that, you know, the outside world has been, you know, very, um, it's been, it, you know, ha- working and, you know, like all, uh, there have been too many distractions. So, um, you know, go- going into 2019, I'm going to try to focus on, you know, making sure that my scripts are in order because, you know, as a filmmaker, your scripts are the coin of the realm. There's, you're, you're, as a writer director, you're sort of dead in the water without that, without, you know, a few, uh, linchpin pieces like a feature script and a pilot script. And, you know, I, I have these projects, but they're sort of in, you know, various states of disarray. So I need to focus and, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Should be a good time. <laughs> Very excited. Looking forward to hearing what comes out of it too. Oh, thanks. So let us, let us know how to support. Oh, yeah, you know, I will. Yeah. What about you, David? <laughs> uh, and David? Um, so I, I guess the next thing up for me is just like I said, I'm, um, working on the planning stages and development stages of the fourth brand, uh, a hot take, uh, coming out, uh, early next, uh, uh, year in 2019, um, to really be like the deadline Hollywood reporter. Uh, for people of color uh, in the entertainment industry, right? To really focus on good cool. uh, commentary, good news, to let people know what's happening in that global space. You know, everywhere from Hollywood to what's happening in Bollywood, Nollywood, the UK, Africa, everywhere, right? You know, what's going on there? Awesome. That's that's great. Definitely need to keep uh, pushing that envelope on all these talks. So um, to Millie and David, thank you guys so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Of course. Thank you, Jess. Um, So this has been on. This was my pleasure. Uh, Thank you guys so much. Um, So uh, this rounds out uh, this latest episode for Escape from Plan A. Please uh, subscribe if you haven't already. Please feel free to leave us a comment. Hit us up on any of our social media handles. They will be posted in the write-up article uh, that will be uh, published along with this podcast. And looking forward to next time. Thank you guys so much. Bye.